DW Africa Link. If you want to know the news making headlines across Africa and beyond, then you're in the right place. Hello and welcome to Africa Link with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And I am Kai Nebe. We are reaching you live from our Facebook page, DW Africa, and of course, across all our partner stations across Africa. So, Eddie, coming up on the program. Yes, the World Health Organization holds a conference with African parliaments on emergency response. As parliamentarians, this is particularly particularly important in Africa, where preparedness is weak and underfunded and multi-sectoral coordination is lacking. And the impact of climate change can be felt all around us. We look at how it's causing widespread diseases in Malawi. There might be other factors, hygiene and others, but I think climate change um, is one of the contributing. So climate change and health in Malawi is a, is a huge problem which has to be dealt with. Okay, stay tuned in for the details after the world's news in brief. DW News With George Okachi, United Nations Refugee Agency says an unimaginable humanitarian crisis is unfolding in Sudan. UNHCR Transit Center at Sudan border is overwhelmed following significant increase in the number of people fleeing fresh violence in Darfur. The paramilitary rapid support forces RSF has reportedly taken over main army base in the state capital, El Jenaina. Dominic Heide is the UNHCR official. Transit center is overwhelmed. It was built for 3,000 people. It now hosts 20,000. The situation is unbearable. Humanitarians are overwhelmed. We are reaching a point where it is undignified for the people of Sudan to be in this situation. Heavy fighting has erupted in the historic Ethiopian town of Lalibela between the federal government forces and the regional militia, local residents have said. The fighting has killed hundreds of people and is the biggest security challenge faced by Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed since the Tigray war ended a year ago. The government disputes reports of violence. The death toll from the ongoing flash flights in Somalia has risen to 29, the National Disaster Management Agency says. This is the worst flooding to hit Somalia in decades and has forced more than 300,000 people to flee their homes. DW's news is coming to you live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky says the European Commission's recommendation to open formal membership talks with his country is the right step for Kyiv and Europe. This development takes Kyiv a step closer to a major strategic goal even as it struggles to repel Russia's invasion. Usla von der Leyen is European Commission's president. has completed. I was there over the weekend and could convince myself well over 90% of the necessary steps. Just to give you an idea, main progress has been achieved on the constitutional justice reform, important measures to curb the oligarchs' grip on the public life, new media law, and progress on national minorities. G7 foreign ministers have agreed to push for humanitarian pause in Gaza fighting, but refrained from calling a ceasefire. The ministers have also emphasized Israel's right to defend itself and its people in accordance with the international law as it seeks to prevent a recurrence of the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th. 
And finally, a man has reportedly been shot dead in Nigeria's northeastern Bauchi state, while a so-called bulletproof charm or gun medicine was being tested on him by a traditional healer. The healer who is allegedly who allegedly fired the shot with a local med gun has been arrested along with other two suspects. And that's all from Studio B. Back to you, EMJ and Kainebe. Thanks very much, George Okachi. Again, on Africa Linky, it's me, Kainebe. And uh, I am Eddie Micah Jr. Welcome to you on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We welcome your comments on the stories we're covering. Let me just uh, see if I can uh, shout out a couple. Well, uh, Juju Wanwe says, uh, Good afternoon from where you are listening from, which is Liberia. Berna Moliski says, well, basically, let me just say you're commenting and looking forward to the stories that we have for you. So stay tuned for more. Right, Eddie. So our top story begins in Accra, Ghana, where hundreds of African lawmakers have gathered for a very high-level meeting. The focus is to strengthen the continent's health system to withstand future pandemics. That's right, Kai. Being facilitated by the World Health Organization's Africa Regional Office, the delegates are drawing lessons from the COVID-19 and Ebola pandemics to create an efficient system to handle any future pandemic. Isaac Alegi has been attending that conference and reports. This is the first time the World Health Organization is holding such a joint high-level conference with African parliamentarians. Delegates are using this three-day conference to fashion out strategies for effective emergency health responses. World leaders two months ago at the United Nations General Assembly adopted a resolution that targets how to prevent, prepare, and respond effectively to future pandemics. WHO Director General Tedros Ghebreyesu said African leaders must hold their governments accountable in fulfilling that commitment. As parliamentarians, you're uniquely positioned to transform those commitments into reality. WHO is committed to supporting you to do that. This is particularly important in Africa, where preparedness is weak and underfunded and multi-sectoral coordination is lacking. Past pandemics like Ebola and COVID-19 wreaked havoc across the continent, leaving many health systems broken. This conference is to ensure that such devastations don't repeat should another pandemic break. The WHO Africa Regional Director, Dr. Machidisu Moiti, said there are already successes to build on from how the continent fought the COVID-19 pandemic. Early in the pandemic, African governments, supported by their parliaments, took strong and proactive action to protect the populations and economies. And the timely implementation of the recommended public health and social measures averted the predicted millions of COVID-19 deaths expected on the continent. Parliaments and parliamentarians have a decisive role in ensuring that pandemic preparedness and response are translated into action. Ghana's health minister, Kwekua Jemanmenu, said achieving universal health care for Africans should also drive parliamentarians to draft good laws and seek funding for health programs. We parliamentarians have a role in promoting health and health equity. We must strive to bridge inequities in access to health care within the populations we serve. Our role in legislation, budget allocation, 
oversight and ratification of international agreements provides the impetus for us to influence and prioritize health security. Meanwhile, some Africans have their own opinions about the continent's preparedness for the next pandemic. Well, in my opinion, I am not sure Africa as a continent is ready for another pandemic because looking at the previous one, I think we have failed in many ways as in how we controlled the COVID-19. We are not going to be ready for another pandemic. When it hits, we are going to once again be going to our foreign uh, neighbors in, the, in Europe and the US, the West and the East to find, for them to find solutions for us. And The African lawmakers here, though, have assured and signaled their willingness to play their part to guarantee the health security in preparedness that health experts yearn for. Uh, Isaac Kaleji from Accra, Ghana, with that report, Eddie. Yeah, one thing's for sure, Kai. The world is definitely not ready for another pandemic. I certainly am not. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Now, uh, in case you ever doubted it, climate change is real and its impact can be felt in so many ways across the continent. There's either too much rain or too little rain. It's either too hot or too cold. The list goes on. Well, it's not just that, Eddie. It's also got to do with the types of illnesses that come with too much rain or too little rain. And in Malawi, the effects of climate change have led to a scabies outbreak. A scabies now is a contagious skin condition caused by mites. Mm -hmm. And it leads to intense itching and red and a big red bumpy rash. Basically something you don't want to get. And uh, more than 5,000 cases have been reported in Malawi in the last two months alone. Yeah, that's that's a lot of cases. The scabies outbreak comes as cholera has also killed almost 2,000 people since last year. Authorities admit learners in some schools are the worst affected due to the lack of water and sanitation facilities. George Mango reports from Blantyre. Climate change-induced conditions like heat wave, high humidity and water shortages make people more vulnerable to disease outbreaks. In Malawi, scabies has affected more than 5,000 people in just two months. The worst affected districts are Mzimba, Mzuzu in the northern region, and Insanje in the southern region. The districts are along boundaries with Mozambique, Tanzania, and Zambia. Health campaigner Mazigo Matemba notes the link between climate change and health. We look going beyond before cyclone and the floods which Malawi had been experienced over the few years ago, which are climate-related. Malawi was found itself and the of some conditions which were almost eliminated. And the scabies is one of such conditions which we have just observed that it has resurfaced. And we look at the factors. Yes, I know that there might be other factors like hygiene and others, but I think climate change um, is one of the contributing. So climate change and health in Malawi is a, is a huge problem which has to be dealt with. District health authorities who are struggling to contain such cases are calling on international organizations to help. However, people are divided over the cause of scabies. There was nothing like scabies at the peak of COVID-19. By 2022, when cyclones and floods hit Malawi, it has been the resurgence of cholera, leprosy, polio, measles. So I feel like these are linked to climate change. Scabies is uh, transmitted or spread through prolonged uh, direct skin contact with a person that has the infection. And uh, it may not be really true to say that uh, the outbreak is because of... uh, 
climate change. I have not suffered from the condition, but some of my winners in, in other schools due to this hot weather have suffered from it. Key issue is availability of water and personal hygiene, which my parents encourage me to observe. Campaigners say the worrying factor in that many cases are to do with school-age children. In its assessment, World Age Malawi says one in three people do not have access to clean water. Lilongwe is now screening and providing awareness campaigns. George Mbodwa is a health promotion officer for Nsanje district, which has recorded 4,000 cases since October. The basic contributing issue to development of scabies is poor personal hygiene and, of course, uh, sanitation. Not forgetting uh, proper care of beddings, uh, clothes. Uh, we, we encourage those that are, have scabies to treat their clothes and beddings with hot water or tie them in a plastic bag and expose them to the sun for an extended period of time, maybe hours. So that's what we are encouraging. The World Health Organization has urged authorities to ensure that climate action initiatives respond to extreme weather driving health crisis. And with COP meeting on the cards, experts want nothing less but serious negotiations to avert climate crisis on health. George Mango reporting from Blantyre. And those of you just joining us here on Africa Link, I, this is this is me, of course, Kai yeah. Nebe. <laughs> I almost forgot my own name there. It's still me, Kai Nebe. Yes, and it's still me, Eddie Michael Jr. As always, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And of course, we continue with our show. And on this side of and uh, coming up, we will be meeting some Ethiopian women that have a glimpse of peace after enduring the horrors of the war. Tigray women are strong. We are facing so many problems, but we always overcome them from one generation to the next. That's what makes us stronger. That's coming up in a bit. But first, we head to Nigeria, where a smoldering conflict thought to have been settled two decades ago is threatening to reignite. Yes, Eddie. And this is specifically in West Africa on the coastal border between Nigeria and Cameroon. It's mm-hmm. called the Bakasi Peninsula. Here, the Biafra, here the Biafra Nations League, a Nigerian um, separatist group, has been claiming, claiming ownership of the Bakasi Peninsula despite an International Court ruling, International mm-hmm. Court of Justice ruling in 2003, which ceded the peninsula to Cameroon. And that brought an end to several years of dispute, some of which was quite violent. That was indeed. Now, still the Biafra Nations League, or BNL, insists the Bakasi land belongs to Biafra, a defunct state that briefly broke away from Nigeria. 1967 to 1970. Now, legally, the Bakasi Peninsula is part of Cameroon, but recently there's been a growing number of clashes between BNL militias and Cameroonian soldiers patrolling the area. Our correspondent in the Niger Delta, Mohamed Bello, tells us more. The Biafra separatist group has repeatedly claimed it must protect the Bakasi Peninsula from invasion by Cameroonian forces. However, an international court of justice ruling in October 2002 ceded the territory from Nigeria to Cameroon, ending the dispute which began in 1993. While the land is relatively small, it is but crucial in determining access to fish stocks and offshore oil reserves. Nigeria officially handed over the peninsula to Cameroon in 2008. About 30% of residents have since become Cameroon nationals, but over 90% of the peninsula's 300,000 inhabitants are said to be of the epic ethnic nationality from Calabar, Nigeria. 
Pilates Obu, who was a former member of the National Assembly, is from the area. It is a gradual build-up of resistance to that unjust judgment which didn't take care of all the declarations of the United Nations, especially the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, whose 22 articles enshrined in it is the fact that you must do a plebiscite, a referendum, and the people must agree to relocate before you take them out. That was never done. So the ICJ judgment is clearly a recipe for a long-time war in that area. After ceding the peninsula to Cameroon, protests from some Nigerians followed, especially local residents of Bakasi who felt they were not duly consulted. Soon after the Bakasi area was handed over, the Biafra Nations League separatist group is believed to have set up a base and has carried out kidnappings, robberies, damaging oil installations and fighting Cameroonian soldiers who they accused of encroaching the Biafran territory. They say they are both ready to face both Cameroon and Nigerian forces should they be attacked. As long as Bakasi Peninsula is concerned, Bakasi Peninsula is in support to Biafran Nation League, BNL. Clashes have recently become deadly. Over 30 military and civilian personnel were killed in October alone in gun battles. Kabir Ademu, a security risk management specialist, said lack of state presence in the region contributed to the instability. The major reason for this is the deterioration of um, security in the area, especially the weakness of state institutions. For quite a while now, the Biafran agitators, secessionist groups, have taking advantage of this weak state of um, security and other government authorities within the area where they are able to move around freely and sometimes you know, bring in weapons through the porous borders and perpetrate their other criminal activities including oil theft. Nigeria's authorities rarely comment on issues affecting the Bakasi Peninsula as it is not considered part of Nigeria. Former Nigerian President Olishogono Basenjo said a war with Cameroon would have cost Nigeria dearly in terms of resources and influence in Africa. And Paul Bia of Cameroon then, on his part, said any dispute on the Bakasi Peninsula boundary was a misunderstanding and not a fight between the two African countries. Mohamed Bello reporting from Nigeria. And uh, that's a conflict, Eddie, which actually has its roots in uh, colonial mapmaking mm. when uh, Britain and Germany carved up the West African coast between them back in 1884. And actually, we um, we actually have an upcoming podcast about this uh, called the it's a series called Shadows of German Colonialism, mm-hmm. where we look at how many of these African conflicts that we report on were actually complicated or even started during the colonial era. Mm. We'll let our listeners know when that comes on air. I'm definitely very curious to find out what we have there. But for now, let's head to Ethiopia, where a very different but very brutal war came to an end. However, the scars are very much still there. Exactly. So in November 2020, a conflict between the Ethiopian And Eritrean Army and the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, Mm -hmm. escalated into a harrowing war that killed over half a million people. And in this war, uh, women played a very big role. They were activists, nurses, doctors, and even soldiers. But they also suffered immensely, as our correspondent Stefan Mull found out when he went there. Our reporter Wanji Komura presents his report. In Mekele, the capital of Tigray in northern Ethiopia, there are many female veterans who join the local militia. According to one of them, Litagerigis Zesilasie, it was to protect themselves from marauding armies. Our anger and frustration drove us to the front lines, 
But now, with the prospect of peace, we're finally feeling a sense of relief and happiness. The war inflicted a severe toll on all Ethiopians with atrocities committed by all sides. Women in Tigray and other conflict areas of Ethiopia were systematically brutalized by soldiers. In Mekele's hospital, Mulu Mesfin leads the one-stop center for victims of sexual violence. She hears countless stories of extreme abuse of women and girls and other forms of torture. She does her best to help those who have made the journey to the hospital. My mother tried to follow, but I don't want her to know that I came here and that I came alone. I had so many problems getting here. There were lots of fighting going on, and the army was still there. I had no other choice but to go to the village of Adi. Sexual assault is as a opening of the war, as a opening, as a genocide. They say different ugly words, and also they victimize because of the identity. Tigrayan peoples are unnecessary. We want the land only, the place only. We are destroying the people, especially the women, the girls, the children, because women are the backbone of the country, the backbone of every uh, people. After cancelling more than 2,000 rape survivors, Mesfin believes that the important position of women in Ethiopia and Tigrayan society is the reason why they are deliberately targeted. This was not the first war in which Tigrayan fought for their lives and freedoms. From 1974 to 1991, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, played a pivotal role in defeating Ethiopia's repressive military regime. Approximately 88,000 women were actively involved, a third of TPLF combatants. Despite the atrocities committed during the conflicts, past and present, women like Eldana Yikuno remain the bedrock of their communities. Tigray women are strong. We are facing so many problems, but we always overcome them from one generation to the next. That's what makes us stronger. A recent report by Physicians for Human Rights and the Organization for Justice and Accountability in the Horn of Africa revealed military units in Tigray still carry out shocking sexual violence. This is despite the November 2022 peace agreement. Wanjiku Mwaura presenting Stefan Merle's report from Mekele, Ethiopia. Well, Eddie, now it's time for some entertainment news. And we start off with some pretty strange news. South African star The Kiffness uh, had to cancel a music show in the United States for a very unusual reason. Because (laughs) his band's vehicles were broken into and their instruments were stolen in Detroit. The Kiffness, whose real name is actually David Scott, is known on social media for his remixes of very famous songs. And after the event, he was actually on American television. He told reporters, maybe if someone's watching this, they've seen someone walking <laughs> down the street with my ukulele or guitar. Maybe we can get it back sometime. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the latest on that. Did they get it back in time? I guess they're still looking out there. I have to say, Kai, that's a tough one for the young musician but you know i have some lighter news people magazine has announced the sexiest man alive for 2023 and is it you eddie 
you guessed right okay no i'm kidding <laughs> i'm actually surprised it's not me to be honest but well it's grace anatomy actor patrick dempsey he takes over from 2022 winner and marvel star chris evans oh, i thought he deserved it pretty well <laughs> <laughs> well eddie better luck next time Thank i mean you, you know I'll, I'll put in a vote for you next time but uh for soccer fans uh we've got our resident champions league guru here in the house uh isaac mugabe welcome oh thank you so much guy and eddie thank you for having me it always gives me so much pleasure to join you guys to talk about sports i hope our listeners out there especially on our facebook page w africa will be thrilled about what we are going to talk about yeah, and uh, let's just get right into it. Champions League. Dortmund returned to winning ways with a 2-0 win over Newcastle in Germany. What impressed you most about this, Isaac? Well, this result, no one expected it. But I mean, it was it, Dortmund delivered one of the best overall performances of the season so far with that reward over Newcastle. I'd remember it had just been thrashed by <laughs> the Akrivos by Munich in their classical. We, we, four goals to one. I mean, the win helped the Yellows, the black and yellows, give them a boost to their hopes of qualifying for the Champions League ground. And we saw the game from the beginning. Niklas Fulkrug scoring his first goal ever of the Champions League. As Newcastle was looking for a draw, then comes your <laughs> doppelganger Kai. I always tell you, you look like Julian Brandt. I mean, adding salt injury to the Newcastle team by scoring the second goal, yeah. it was like game over for, for Newcastle. And it's a big boost for Dortmund, mm. I can tell you totally totally in the same group ac milan surprised psg with a 2-1 win i mean how does that set up a very even group f i mean there's two games to go Mm -hmm. any of the sides could progress to the next stage exactly group f is the group of death Mm. remember the first leg paris saint-germain beat ac milan three goals to nil yeah and this time around we didn't see this coming and of course, we were like, Karim, no, Bohud, Bohud mm-hmm. scoring that header. It was so important for AC Milan to come back into the game. And it was a very big win. Remember, they're all, it's the group of death. Yeah. With when, when we look at the table, we have Borussia Dortmund with seven points, followed by Paris Saint Germain with six points. Then come AC Milan with five points, oh. and Newcastle United with four points. So, yep. I mean, you could see the joy. They were thrilled beating Paris Saint-Germain. And uh, for me, I thought maybe they could have scoffed off a draw. But in Hamburg, the game was in Hamburg. Yeah. And you know what? Barcelona needed all, needed all, only a draw to advance to advance to the next qualification. And now they have to wait. But, but now let's just get into that uh, one. Um, the game between Shakhtar Donetsk and Barcelona. You mentioned just now, of course, that um, Shakhtar, Shakhtar did beat Barcelona. Yes, but, in Hamburg, but, yeah. but, Shak, but Shakhtar have also come up with some big results in the past. How much of a surprise was this for you, Isaac? I mean, I've been following Shakhtar Donetsk and their previous games show a side that is committed to bring out positive results. Perhaps maybe they're bored by the political fact. Of course, politics is a way nowadays it works out in football. You know, people standing up for a moment of silence. And I think the support they have from the community of Ukrainians, mm. whatever they are scattered in the, in the world, those have fled the war from inside their country because of Russia bombings. And it's like when they play, you can see the will to win is one thing I've seen about mm. Shakhtar Donetsk. And like I said, mentioned before, sorry to have mixed that up. Barcelona wanted just a draw 
to, to qualify, mm. to qualify for the next round. But I always tell people, and you know that, football has a way it tells its own story. Yeah. You can never know where it heads. And that's mm. why this group of death, uh, Kai and, my, uh, and Eddie, there's a lot to watch about it, especially the upcoming fixtures. That's right. Yeah. I mean, t- talking about football having its way of telling stories, what mm. story will be told today when Manchester United play against FC Copenhagen? It's uh, really a, a do-or-die <laughs> game for United, isn't it? Well, well, uh, for the fans of Manchester United, wherever they are, Eddie, I can tell you for free, <laughs> their hearts are not positioned where they're supposed to be. You know why? <laughs> Many players, including Rashford and even the fans, are not so happy with how Eric Tannenberg is is in control of Manchester mm. United. They think he's not lived up to the expectations. They want wins and wins, but they're, 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 they're not seeing mm. the Manchester United of the old times of Sir Alex Ferguson mm. and Eric Ten Hag. They expected him to do much more. But you know what? Copenhagen is another stubborn side. Yeah. So everyone will be watching this game, including yours truly, myself here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. And it could mark the beginning of the end of Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United. He yeah. has to win this game like it or not or else it will spell trouble. And you know what? Before I go anywhere, the British tabloids, they're never merciful <laughs> when it comes to losing coaches, especially for strong clubs like Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool and Chelsea. You lose, you expect those screaming headlines saying, look at what you have. <laughs> <laughs> so God forbid, hopefully all goes well yeah. between Manchester United and uh, Copenhagen. Yeah. Isaac Mugabe, thanks so much. <laughs> bold predictions in there, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to win and see other big games coming up. Uh, Bayern Munich uh, playing against Galatasaray. There's also Arsenal playing against Villa. Uh, Napoli locking horns with Union Berlin. Real Madrid also play against Braga. So a lot of interesting games coming up. Um, we'll have to wait and see how the pans are. But tomorrow, God willing, Isaac hopefully will be here with us again to look at the games and look forward to what to expect. Thank you guys for staying with us on the program. I am Eddie Micah Jr. And it's me, Kai Never. Till next time. Bye for now. DW Mid for Mind.